This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, we're only 10 weeks away from the November midterm elections, and I'm continuing our series on the road to the midterms. And today, I want to focus on the U.S. Senate races. You know, having been in politics for a long time, you begin to notice certain patterns, and the elite left-wing propaganda media can almost be counted on around August for their drumbeat reporting about how terrible Republican candidates are how they may have made it through the primaries, but they can't possibly win in November. There's a whole lot of posturing that goes on at this time of the year, particularly among Democrats and the propaganda media. So I wanted to spend some time going race by race and talking about why I think each candidate on the Republican ticket is strong and can win in November. And here to help us understand the U.S. Senate races in the key battleground states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Ohio, Nevada, and Arizona, I'm really pleased to welcome a very longtime friend going back. It's hard to imagine how many years. Somebody I worked with in Georgia politics and who became a remarkable pollster, Matt Towery of Insider Advantage. Matt is a political analyst and pollster, television commentator, attorney, former Georgia state legislator. He served in the Georgia House of Representatives, was the Republican nominee for lieutenant governor of Georgia in 1990, and he served as chairman of my political organization, in the 1990s. So, as you can tell, I have a lot of both affection and a deep debt to Matt. Matt, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Well, thank you, Newt. I think the debt runs the other way, but I'm happy to be with you. Well, your company, Insider Advantage, was one of the few polling companies that predicted that Trump would win over Clinton 
in 2016. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that it's both the way you collect your data and the way you weight your data. As you well know, you've been in this business forever. There are few of us who are willing to take the effort to not skew our polls towards individuals who either A, don't vote, or B, tend to be not representative of the overall electorate. I would say that Robert Cahaley at Trafalgar is one. I think Insider Advantage, I think uh, Susquehanna, the Rasmussen National Polls, there aren't many. And one of the things that is a key, Newt, is that you have to ask a very brief, short survey. So many pollsters want to go in and ask 30, 40, 50, 100 questions. And I always say, and I think Robert Haley certainly agrees on this point, and that is that who in the world is in these days, as we have to contact people via cell phone or via text, how many people are going to answer a 100 or a 50 or even a 30-question survey? The answer is no one. So a lot of these polls that you see that oftentimes skew a certain direction are not really random surveys like you and I were used to back in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s. They're actually large political panels where people have agreed to be surveyed. And of course, that means they're hyper-political and hyper-political tends to lean left and to the Democratic Party. That's why we caught the Trump sort of upswing in his victory and others did not. Robert caught it, we did. There are some pollsters like Robert Cahaley and myself who have very short surveys. We tend to get a better sample of the actual electorate. For example, a lot of these surveys, if you look at them, 50% of the people who reply say that they either have a bachelor's degree or an advanced degree. Well, we know that's not true in America. So they're sampling people who are hyper-political from basically a pool of folks who have already agreed to be interviewed over and over again. Robert, myself, and some of the other pollsters don't. And that's how we caught the Trump win in 2016 and also why we were much closer in our assessment of the swing states in 2020. So as you two are looking at the country, what is it you see that is so dramatically different from the propaganda media and their polls? Well, I think right now, What we're seeing, I saw Republicans doing very well several months ago when the Biden administration was truly floundering. One of my big concerns is that a lot of the consultants out there working for Republican candidates seem to believe that Labor Day is when elections begin. You start running your ads after that. They plan their finances that way. They plan their ad buys. That's no longer the case. People can now be contacted you know, by text, by email. That's how we poll. That's made it easier to poll during the vacation time period that, for example, Republican demographics seem to indicate Republicans are on the road. It also means that people can reach candidates more easily. And I believe now the battle is in late August and early September because absentee ballot applications, for example, in Georgia, they're going out right now. And people start to solidify in terms of what they're going to do well before November. So everything has been brought to a faster cycle, but I'm not sure that all of the folks who run campaigns, probably for Democrats as well, but I know more Republicans, I'm not sure they've really caught up to that the way they should. When I first got in this business, we had election day. Well, we now have election month. Exactly. It's a totally different experience. And there are people who lose on election day who actually won on election day but they'd already lost in the previous voting and the absentee ballots and what have you. 
And there have been a number of those kind of cases. So let me ask you, because I know you're doing polling in a number of states. I'll toss some states at you, starting with a couple that you know so well that you may well be the premier expert. And the first one I want to toss to you is Florida, which I think has both with Governor DeSantis and with Marco Rubio has a pretty strong Republican ticket. But as you'll remember, not very many years ago, Florida was a really tough state that we were winning by, you know, 20,000 votes out of 5 million. What's your sense of how Florida is trending? Well, you're spot on in terms of the past. And one of the things that people don't realize is that Florida now, by registration, is a Republican state growing every week as people move from these pandemic-stricken places around the country where there was tremendous lockdown and, as people tell us, the ability to go out and enjoy their lives. And, of course, then you had the crime issues rise in many of the cities. Folks have abandoned those areas. They're moving to Florida. Someone told me a thousand a day. And the majority are registering now as Republicans. And so the Republicans have a big advantage by registration. It is no longer the purple situation that we saw a few years ago. It's drifting increasingly red. DeSantis is extremely strong here. I think the likelihood that either Nikki Freed or Charlie Crist, it's very unlikely they can defeat DeSantis. He is very popular. He's got some great ads on TV. And Marco Rubio is a strong candidate as well. You know, he was damaged a bit after running for president, but he put his nose to the grindstone. He became more supportful of Trump. And his popularity among Republicans has bounced right back. Val Demings, who's running against him, ran a very smart commercial showing herself as the former police chief is tough on crime. It worked for a little while, but Rubio quickly countered, which is critical, as you know, Newt, in this business. You cannot be attacked and wait weeks to respond. Marco Rubio did not. I don't expect Florida to be a particularly difficult state this year for the Republicans. DeSantis is running a magnificent campaign, and Rubio responded very quickly to the attacks against him. I just don't think Florida's on the map for discussion, although I think the national media will try to create that, as we all expect and know. But I don't expect anything but a win for probably DeSantis as well as Rubio. It's been amazing to me, having lived through the whole process of Florida as largely a democratic state and then gradually a competitive state, the number of races, including DeSantis four years ago for governor, and all of Rick Scott's races. The number of races where we managed to win by 20 or 30,000 votes out of five or six million, to me, is astonishing. When you, you could say Bush 2000 was a similar example, that somehow the Republican Party is just stronger than the Democratic Party. And of course, now it actually has a much bigger reservoir of votes. You know, the other state you're very familiar with that has really trended our way significantly is Ohio. And I think that's tied in part to the degree to which people who did not go to four years of college are dramatically shifting to the Republican Party. So we're actually becoming the blue collar party in virtually all of America. But in addition, oil and gas in eastern Ohio became very big business with fracking. I just saw a poll, I guess it was Kaheli, Trafalgar, that now shows J.D. Vance ahead by three or four points. And I always thought that the gravitational pull of Ohio would elect Vance just because it's now trending so intensely Republican, much like Florida, except even more advanced. I mean, I remember in Bush's re-election in 2004, it was the final precincts in Ohio 
that decided whether or not he would win re-election. And at that time, Ohio was a very competitive state. And now I think it's less and less so. Do you have that same feeling? Oh, absolutely. You've described it perfectly, what's taken place in Ohio. What the media tries to do there, or some of the pollsters, they try to say, well, there are these suburban areas in Cincinnati and Cleveland and Columbus, probably so, that are more sophisticated and they don't like a Trump style or a Trump endorsed candidate. And then, of course, we get returns from Hamilton County and Cincinnati and other places. And then we find out that, in fact, they do like a Trump endorsed candidate. So I don't expect J.D. Vance to have a big problem. There's a media push to say, well, his opponent is coming on strong, that he's more attractive to suburban voters. But my sense is that really is not taking place. I think we'll see Vance win Ohio. Well, and his opponent is a Democratic congressman who has consistently voted with Biden and Pelosi. So he's carrying a pretty big load into it. You know, I mean, your home state where you serve in the legislature and where you know politics with great intimacy, how do you read Herschel Walker and the general? And of course, to his credit, Governor Kemp responded to the challenge, won a, I thought, shockingly big primary to be renominated, and now seems to be pretty consistently ahead of his Democratic opponent. How do you read the evolution of Georgia this year? Demographics work the opposite in Georgia. Georgia is a state where demographics are continually moving in the direction of demographics that would support Democratic candidates. And that has been going on for quite some time. Atlanta has become a massive metropolitan area and a very diverse metropolitan area. It doesn't mean a Republican can't win. It means that a Republican has to really do a balancing act. They have to pull about 61 to 63 percent of the white vote. They have to be able to receive at least 8 to 10 percent of the African-American vote. They need to split the Hispanic vote. And then they need to pray that all of this comes together in a victory. Kemp had a great primary, no doubt about it. Georgia, by the way, as you know, Newt, you ran many times, is an open state where you don't register by party. So it's hard for us to see if the Democrats played in some of these races or not. But regardless of that, Kemp had a strong race. There has been this movement among some political leaders, as well as some media recently, to suggest that candidates such as Walker in Georgia, Oz in Pennsylvania, are weak candidates. What I find amazing about that is that these are people in both cases who have had tremendous careers. I mean, you look at Fetterman, and I can't make a judgment one way or another. Fetterman's career is really not anything that seems to be very striking. Yet you have Oz, who has had a phenomenal career, both as a businessman, as an on-air talent, and as a very successful surgeon. You have Herschel Walker, who was a tremendous athlete, but went on to be an excellent businessman. I find it rather odd. You know, are we supposed to believe that the only good candidates are candidates who have served in legislatures or who have been in office all their lives and not done anything in the real world? Well, of course, if you're a left-wing Democrat, that is what you believe. Yes. You're not tainted by that free enterprise stuff. Well, and to be fair, there are plenty of Republicans who seem to believe that as well. The truth is, I think they underestimate the quality of these candidates and the ability for these candidates to survive a very rough August and come back. In Walker's case, by the way, Georgia is one of the two states in the country that holds a runoff in the general election. If you don't get 50 percent of the vote plus one, you go to that runoff, which, of course, we saw two years ago with the two Senate seats. I think Herschel Walker has a great chance of being in a runoff. And once you get an incumbent into a runoff, then the incumbent is not likely to win in Georgia. 
So that's something everyone needs to keep in mind about the Walker race. It's not a matter of whether Walker beats Warnock in the first round. It's can he make it to the national championship, which would be in January. Although I have to say, my preference is for winning in November, just because it makes it so much easier. Every candidate says, <laughs> yes, although I just think it's going to be difficult. So Matt, what's your sense in Nevada where I think we have a remarkably good candidate and Adam Laxalt? He is running against an incumbent. Well, in Nevada, the latest Trafalgar poll, which I think probably is the more accurate one, shows Laxalt ahead. A couple of the polls that were taken earlier by other organizations showed him losing. I think that's going to be a close race. As you know, Newt, one of the big deciding points out in Nevada is that giant union that controls so much of the vote of people who work in hotels and in the entertainment business in Las Vegas. My sense is that the individuals who work in those hotels, work in those casinos, who used to be a guaranteed vote for the Democrats, were very frustrated by being shut down over and over again, locked in their house, not able to earn money, and fear that that's going to happen again. So that's a unique situation that I think Laxalt needs to be on top of and I think that's why Nevada is a real possibility for the Republicans this go around. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, we went back in preparing for this conversation. And if you look at Larry Sabato's work or the Cook Political Report or 538, in almost every one of these races now, despite all the August talk about a Democratic surge, in almost all of these races, they're toss-ups. And they're not saying that they're going to be Democrats elected automatically. In Nevada, of course, you have in Cortez Masto, a Democratic U.S. senator, I have a hunch she's going to get beat. The other interesting place, it seems to me, is Arizona, where I have always thought Mark Kelly was vulnerable because he doesn't actually vote like an Arizonan. Now, Blake Masters came out of a very tough primary. They've got to finish putting the party back together. But what do you sense about Arizona? I think you're absolutely right. They've got to get the party put back together first. That's why in some of these races, such as with Oz in Pennsylvania, for example, you did have a big division among the Republican electorate, and it's taking time for Republicans to come back over and support the candidate who emerged as a nominee. I think that's the issue in this case. The other thing about Arizona, of all the major competitive races, that this particular candidate seems to be polling the worst at this time. And as I mentioned earlier, Newt, I believe that the immigration issue, if you look at the immigration position of the public, if that is reinforced with daily examples of people coming over the border and talking about what impact that has on people in Arizona, I believe that that race can become very competitive because some of the polling that I've seen from Scott Rasmussen and others show that once you start focusing on the bad side of that, that race can become much closer as well. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. We have serious decisions to make about the future of our country. Americans must confront big government socialism, which has taken over the modern Democratic Party, big business, news media, entertainment, and academia. My new best-selling book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future, offers strategies and insights for everyday citizens to save America's future and ensure it remains the greatest nation on earth. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. You can order an autographed copy of my new book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, right now at Gingrich360.com book, and we'll ship it directly to you. Don't miss out on this special offer. It's only available for a limited time. Go to Gingrich360.com book to order your copy now. Order it today at Gingrich360.com book. When I talk with Scott Rasmussen, he makes the point that when you look at the so-called undecideds, they're amazingly anti-Biden, and they are very unhappy 
with the direction of the country and with the economy. And he thinks that the undecideds in the end break overwhelmingly Republican. And do you have any gut feeling for that? I do. One of the ways I can tell you that I agree with Scott, who I have a lot of respect for, we're good friends, is that as I look at independence in most of these races, while they've drifted perhaps a little bit to the Democrats, a few of them in the recent weeks, the independents have generally been one of the strongest groups that had a very unfavorable view of Joe Biden. So I have to believe that as we get focus in these races, those are the people who tend to be undecided or independents, and that will move towards the Republicans. But let me just note, Newt, during this onslaught that the media created, starting with abortion, then the unfortunate shootings that took place and the response to that, then the Inflation Reduction Act, the media began to create this concept that the Democrats were on the rise, Biden was on the rise, quote, had the best week of his entire presidency a few weeks ago. And then the stock market began to respond a bit because inflation did not grow at the rate they might have expected for a month, which I find to be probably an anomaly. But that's the time period that some independents sort of drifted into the undecided column. I think as this stuff all comes into focus once again, and if the Republicans do their job, and I cannot stress enough, I'm not thrilled with the quality of ads that I see right now. I think a lot of them talk about big spending and inflation, and a lot of people understand that, but not every voter can make the quantum leap in logic between inflation and then recession and then what happens to them. And they certainly can't make that leap in logic between that and big government spending because a lot of folks just haven't taken the courses in economics and they don't need to. So I think the Republicans need to be a little more explicit in setting out what the problems are. I think they need to be a little more focused on issues like critical race theory, which have a lot of people upset. Other issues that related to the unfairness of women in sports and some of the rules that are being placed in that area, the surge in crime in both big cities and suburbs, those are issues that will move the votes. And I don't see enough ads focusing on that. You know, the Republican go-to has always been it's the economy stupid. Well, sometimes when you see as many crazy things as have occurred in this country in the last two years, it's not just the economy. It's the culture war as well that these independents were reacting to. But Republicans have to be able to bring that home. I think Youngkin would not have won if he had not embraced parents' rights and been on the side of parents in the fight over the left-wing teachers' union effort to propagandize their children. I think in that sense, it was absolutely a key to putting together his majority coalition. And I think if you combine that with the crime issue, which I think is getting bigger very fast, it's beginning to really sink into people, you turn on the TV news and there's a flash mob looting a 7-Eleven. I mean, you're watching the end of civilized order in front of your very eyes. And then you have candidates. Fetterman's a good example. Fetterman served on the parole board as lieutenant governor, was the only person on that parole board to vote to release a killer who had killed a young man for the purpose of getting money to buy more heroin at a time when he was under the influence of drugs. And Fetterman wanted to put him back on the street. Well, if you're a person who's aware of how bad Philadelphia's gotten, and this is true across the whole country, I mean, almost every major city now is out of control. Atlanta, as you may know, according to Channel 11 in Atlanta, they actually, per capita, have a higher crime rate than Chicago. And you know, I think people are genuinely worried about their own personal safety 
and they watch these liberal politicians who seem to be more pro-criminal than they are pro-innocent person. So I agree with you. I think crime and the culture issues are dramatically bigger part of the next two months than probably most Republican consultants believe. I'll use immigration as an example. So immigration is a big issue when people actually see what's taking place on the border. But what I pose this question all the time, how many people who don't watch Fox News or Newsmax actually ever see the hordes of people coming across at the Texas border, the crisis down there, the people jammed into areas once they get into this state, or even hear about the fentanyl problem that's massive as a result of it? And the answer is, if you actually look and see what the networks run, what the news feeds show to the average person with their iPhone as they're walking around during the day, they never see this stuff. Again, I believe the Republican Party has a short period of time to educate the public about what's going on in areas such as crime, reminding them what's going on with regard to that. A lot of people in Atlanta don't even know that stat that you just mentioned, Newt. And also to show them what's occurring at the border, because when you get into October, as you know, Newt, the electorate becomes rather suspicious. If you suddenly start showing people coming over the border, they say, well, if that's been going on for two years, how come I never saw it? So this is the time period the Republicans have to educate the public and the people who don't get to see it because they don't watch the news stations that you and I watch. And it's a very tight window of opportunity, to quote your old book. So part of what I'm fascinated by as the year evolves is there's suddenly this emergence of Democrats saying, I just assume Joe Biden doesn't show up. And in fact, in a couple of cases now, Marcy Kaptur in Toledo, for example, who's a very senior veteran member of Congress, is now running an ad talking about how she voted against Biden. Are you a little surprised at how rapidly he has been decaying as a political property? Well, no, I think on Sean Hannity's show, the very first week he was sworn in, I said to Sean that at some point, the Democratic Party would turn on Biden, that if he was as weak in terms of his abilities and capabilities and his programs, because we saw the executive orders that he signed the first day, which just really shocked some folks. For every action in politics, as you know, Newt, there's a reaction. And the reaction is now hitting. And his popularity, while it got a little stronger a week ago, he's back down again. And these candidates are now having to say, well, look at Stacey Abrams. I mean, he came into Georgia to talk about election reform, her issue. And Stacey at that time couldn't find time on her calendar to be seen with Joe Biden. So it's something that's occurred over the last four or five months growing. And I think it will grow even more if the Republicans capture at least the House, because at that point, they know a lot of issues about Joe Biden are going to be brought front and center because the House will then have the power of subpoena. Those committees will. And you're going to learn a lot more about what's been going on in the past. And I think the Democrats are going to say, yikes, we have to do something about this. And they're beginning to do that right now. That's why you're seeing ads like that. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is your take on Trump's role in all of this? Well, it's very complex. First of all, it's very clear that the raid on Trump did nothing but galvanize his supporters and, quite frankly, a lot of people who were on the fence about him for two reasons. One, the obvious, and that is it seemed to be a great overreach. But the second thing that I think people are missing is that once this took place, there were plenty of polls and plenty of commentators who said, well, now Trump is the nominee if he chooses to run. No one is going to be able to defeat him. So when Republicans and independents who might want to get Biden out start thinking, well, Trump is their only alternative, 
they start taking a better view of him because they realize he is the life raft that they need. Now, that could all change because certainly the various you know, law enforcement groups and the like in these various states are trying as hard as they can to find a way to make the man either agree to never run again or to put him behind bars. But right now, all they've done is embolden him, make him stronger, and make him appear to be the only alternative that anyone who doesn't want the Biden administration can vote for. I was very struck with two things in that sense. One is the elites cannot get in their head that the reason Trump is still standing is that for at least half the country, they loathe the elites. And so no matter what you tell them about Trump, their basic reaction is, yeah, but he's not you. And I think that's what happened to Liz Cheney in Wyoming. 71% of her state voted against her. That is about as close to a repudiation as you can get. And I think it was kind of a sense of, I don't care what you're telling us about this committee. You're clearly now them, and we are just overwhelmingly opposed to them. I mean, do you have that same sense that a great deal of Trump isn't about Trump? It's about the American people being fed up with the deep state and with wokeism and with the whole notion of big government socialism, that when all of it comes together, people just say, no, I don't care what you're going to tell me about him. He's not you. Yes. In fact, Newt, I think that's the stronger motivating factor in this race this year than even the economy. As much as people are suffering from inflation and higher gas prices, I think it's the entire combination of issues that you just described and the elitism that they most react to and that they're most upset about. Now, there is a small sliver of voters, but they're critical. And this is most interesting. The only group of Republicans who Republican candidates seem to have a problem with if they're Trump associated or if they're backed by Trump are voters 65 and older, which used to be the group that a conservative candidate could always count on. What's taking place there is the following. When the pandemic hit, this group was convinced they needed to mask up and stay in their house forever. They were led to believe that Trump didn't believe in what was needed to save them from the pandemic. That then bled over to a concept of self-image. These people at that age have a certain self-image. Many of them are college educated. They are successful. They've already made their money. And they don't believe that these candidates, because they're more of the general populace and perhaps not of the elite, that they would fit in in their social setting, their country club, where they hang out, the people they're with. People vote their self-image. I've said that all my life. And so with that group, it takes a lot more to explain why the view they have is not really relevant. And I think the Republicans have to focus on that age group a little bit more. As a matter of fact, Robert Haley's poll out of Pennsylvania, the number one thing it showed is that Oz is having his greatest difficulty with voters who are 65 and older. So once again, I call it the too cool for school crowd, except they're not of school age. (laughs) They're the seniors. And that's something that has to be dealt with because that's a segment of elitism where elitism is still a little bit popular. Let me ask you one other, I think, really big unknown, what I guess economists would call a black swan, something which could change the whole game. I personally, as a historian, believe that the deep state and the Biden administration and the big government socialists collectively intend to indict Trump in the District of Columbia, where he got 5.6% of the vote, 
and intend to try him in front of a jury guaranteed to convict him of something. They're not sure what it is yet, but they're sure they want him convicted. What do you think will be the country's reaction after the 30 FBI agents went into Mar-a-Lago and the reaction to that? What do you think will be the country's reaction if, in fact, the Biden Justice Department indicts somebody who has been the most dominant person in Republican nominating process this year? I mean, I've never seen anybody in American history as successful as Trump at getting people nominated across the board. So obviously his reach is very, very deep. How do you think the country will react if that person is now indicted by his political opponents? Well, the reaction probably will fall along the same lines as anything that has to do with Donald Trump. You have a solid group that can't stand him. You have a solid group that love him. You have independents that sort of bounce back and forth. I think what it will do is it will increase the intensity and determination of those who support him, not only to vote, but to persuade other people to vote in an effort not only to save him, but to prove the elite wrong. You know, I think the raid originally, I polled it, the raid was sort of a split 50-50 around the country, how people felt about it. But as we got deeper into it and more days went by, the intensity level of people who supported Trump or who thought that it was wrong and their determination to vote was about seven to eight points above that of anyone who didn't like Trump or thought the raid was okay. Take an indictment. That's going to take it to a whole new level. So the game has to be, to be honest with you, not just to indict him, but to tie him up so the man can't run for president. And I think that's probably the goal. Yeah, although I think it may be impossible under the Constitution because the Constitution has two requirements, 35 years of age and a native-born American. There is no other constitutional limitation. You can be serving time in jail. If you have the votes and you're 35 years old and you are native-born American, you're president. There's no congressional prohibition can override the Constitution. I went to some constitutional guys and said, Would you explain this to me? You're absolutely right. Although I think the Democrats, as you know, they try to rely on federal codes and they feel like that they can tie those up and then they can go litigate that before the courts of appeal and even ultimately the Supreme Court. I think probably you and I both agree that if they indict Donald Trump, that only gets resolved one of two ways, either through an election or a decision by the Supreme Court. And I think that for the life of me, Matt, I can't understand the kind of sleepwalking into a disaster that we see with both the way the FBI behaves and we see with the attorney general and with the White House. The stuff they've done starting in 2015 at the FBI has been literally almost like a death march of an institution trying to prove how corrupt it is. I don't know if it's just pure arrogance that they don't get any feedback loops or what. It's certainly going to be a major factor, I think and how angry the American people get as they not just watch it with Trump, but they think about how normal Americans are now treated by their government. And I think that's why the vote for the 87,000 IRS agents may be the most expensive single vote in the Senate races, because they could have voted for more Border Patrol agents. They could have voted for people to worry about murderers and rapists and drug dealers. But instead, they voted for people who are going to come after normal, everyday Americans. I want to thank you for joining me. I hope we have a chance to talk some more between now and Election Day. As you know, I watch your polling very closely, and I rely on your insights and your judgment. 
I'm really, really delighted that you could spend some time and talk with us about the Senate races and about what's happening with polling as we approach the election day on Tuesday, November 8th. So thank you, Matt, very much. Absolutely. You started my career. I owe it all to you, so I'm happy to be a part of it. Thank you to my guest, Matt Towery. You can learn more about the road to the midterms and the U.S. Senate races on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.